This is Sunday Skate on Sports Radio WEEI. The first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With Ken Laird from the Mud and Callahan Show. What a bunch of criminals. We ought to be in jail. That's all there is to it. WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Leave the killer this Sunday Skate is brought to you by Wise Snacks and by Star Market, the official supermarket of the Boston Bruins. Beast is winning. You know, we got a lot of losses. To yeah, we got a lot of losses. Lace them up for some beast talk right now on Sports Radio WEEI. Well, the Boston Bruins are on the brink, and there is only one person to blame. Only one. And his name is Matt Kalman, and he joins us right now for Sunday Skate. What's up, Matt? Ken, do you only go to places where the teams have been eliminated from the playoffs? Uh, yes, I'm in Pittsburgh where there are no fans left. Although I'm at the <laughs> Two fan weeks in ago, Montreal, now Pittsburgh. Why don't no, you go to Toronto? I'm going I'm to hit all the favorites. I'm going to go to uh, Calgary next and then uh, Tampa, and uh, we'll make the whole every team that was upset here in round one, which is basically every team, I'll be there at some point. <laughs> it is a two-hour Sunday skate extravaganza. Not only is Matt Calvin from WEI.com in the building, Pete Blackburn is back on an Easter Sunday for two big hours because we're going to uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Good morning, Pete, and welcome you back. Good morning. Had to be here. It might be the last last show of yeah. the season. Well, it could be. We're going to get be. to that. Uh, they're on the brink for a reason, but I do blame Kalman. I don't know if you do, Pete. Uh, what did I do? Kalman totally trashed the, the Toronto defense for like weeks oh leading into the playoffs. I mean, this how could you have been so wrong? I mean, horribly wrong. <laughs> Everybody did. <laughs> the Bruins are wrong. <laughs> the Bruins didn't know the Leafs could play this well. Uh, yeah, but uh, come on, you you are have been merciless. They've been good. They've been actually good. They've been great. They've been they've been what the Bruins should be. Their structure, their patience, everything is everything. You know, goes the Toronto's way at this point. So how how have you been? Why were you so wrong? I mean, I understand now why Dale doesn't promote you when he uh, does the book junket. I mean, this they is were terrible. It. This is like because they, they were they were they were hustling us all. Uh, they, is that what it was? They, they, just the been... last month of the season. Gardner sat out and rested. Uh, Dermot sat out and rested. They were you know supposedly they were injured. Maybe they were just resting. And uh, you know Muzzin, he was just saving it for the playoffs. It's uh, it's interesting because Anderson, especially, would probably he probably surprises anybody else too because he he's used to being under uh, under siege here and he's uh, having these normal games. I mean, I don't get it, Pete. I mean, Zaitsev looks like Drew Doughty from 2014. He was supposed to be a, a disaster. I guess he has been at some points in the series, but for the most part, they've been good. They have been good. Yeah, their their right side hasn't been the uh, the highway that I expected it to be, or the highway that I expected the Bruins forward group to be able to turn it into. Uh, you know, I've I've been I've been impressed by by them overall, but I I do think they're the Bruins have not played up to their potential certainly in this series, and I still think that there's a potential that if they do, we could see that defense open up a little bit. Who's the better team? I mean, through five games of this series, oh. I think you would pretty much universally say Toronto's been the better team on the ice for four of the five, right? Four of the five, yeah, and maybe even a period of the other one. Who knows? Right. So, I mean, is that a fluke? Is something happening? I mean, going into the series, it seemed like the best line in hockey, which is the phrase most commonly used for Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand, even though they may or may not have been uh, together for the entire uh, right. entire sure. uh, run of it here, uh, they were going to dominate just like they did last year. The D, you had an edge. I guess goal, probably you would have given it Freddie Anderson despite his Game 7 meltdown last year. And the forward groups beyond the top line, uh, maybe a push. But it's not been that way at all. So no, is, is Cassidy mismanaging it, or 
or did we really underestimate the entire Leafs roster here going in? I think we underestimated the Leafs and maybe overestimated the Bruins, especially in that bottom six forwards. I mean, the, the bottom six forward group, other than Troy Coyle, you haven't gotten anything from anyone in the Bruins side of it. And meanwhile, the Leafs' fourth line has been solid. They've been, they've been what the Bruins' fourth line was supposed to be, and their third line's been strong, even with Nylander at center. Uh, they don't seem to drop off. You know, you wonder if they're going to bring Kadri back in the second round if they make it because uh, they're looking pretty good without him. Yeah, their fourth line's been been really good, and I just think you, your biggest advantage lies in in the first line. You're supposed to have right. the best first line in hockey, or at least one of the best first lines in hockey, and they have not held an advantage. Yeah, in this and series. to go back to what you're saying about the defense, they're 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 kind of letting them off the hook. They're not exploiting them the way they were supposed to. You know, and. Cassidy talked about game four. They got their offense. A lot of it came from that top line being playing simple, getting the puck deep, and forechecking. And then game five, they reverted right back to playing fa- to playing fancy. And then Marshan complained about the ice that they can't make a lot of plays. But he was the whole game. He was trying to make plays. So if it, it doesn't add up, you just don't understand what's going through their brains. And look around the league. Look around the league at, at what top first lines are doing to opponents. Right. Look at what Colorado's first line did to, to Calgary. Right. Look what Dallas's yeah. first line did la- yesterday to Nashville. Sure. If you have your first line going, if you, if, you have, if you have an elite first line and they're fully going, they can carry you in the playoffs, yeah. and the Bruins' and you, and first you line go is not back doing that. And you look at the opposite and say, well, a lot of times first lines don't come through. And we know 2011... Krejci, Lucic, and Horton were shut down until the Horton overtime goals. You know that Hal Gill and PK Subban put them under clamps. But you got enough secondary offense. Right. You know the third line won them that series, right? Kelly, Peverly, and, and Ryder. So you go back to now. If that first line's not scoring, you know we could we could put a lot of blame on them. But consider they carried this team to this point. Maybe somebody else should pick it up. You know maybe the Krejci line should should you know should show up. Maybe Jake DeBrus needs to get the gear here. Maybe Marcus Johansson needs to pay off and give us something. And I thought the, the Krejci line, or at least Krejci, was good uh, last time out. But I feel like the the top six has not gotten it together at the same time. Right. And that's been the issue. Well, I got four reasons why the Bruins on the, are on the break. <laughs> Only four? Okay. Only four. Okay, these are the big four. And number one, they yes, they're okay. They're the best line in hockey, or close to it. Maybe actually they shouldn't be called that anymore because they got outplayed by Tampa last year in the postseason. And if they get outplayed here in a second straight playoffs, they're no longer the best line in hockey. Nor are they kept together long enough to really be the best line in hockey. But be that as it may, Bruce Cassidy is blowing it. That is number one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Cassidy might have already blown it. Game one and game five line matching is at worst a disaster. At best, it's been a push, and. I, I love this point by Pierre Lebrun. He wrote this in The Athletic, basically saying how Bergeron could not have gotten a couple of shifts against the Toronto third line in Game 5 when you've got the final change at the Garden is just it's just inexplicable. I mean, this is... Nazem Kadri went out. Didn't we talk about that a week ago, that that was supposed to be the turning point of the series? Sure. So you've got uh, Nylander centering the third line with Marlowe, who is just... He's got nothing left. And Connor Brown is, is not uh, anything to, to fear. So if you get Bergeron and Marchand a couple of shifts against the Nylander line in Game 5, that doesn't open things up a little yeah, bit. He's, he's, and he, he's, he made, he, Cassidy doesn't care. He's, he, way he too, doesn't. he's way too focused on the defensive side. He just doesn't want, He wants to make sure you know, Bergeron's out there against Tavares and Matthews. And you look at it, it, it was Charlie Coyle who was mostly head-to-head against Nylander, and it didn't, uh, it didn't, go, you know, it didn't go the Bruins' way. They played him even. So they're kind of letting him off the hook. You're, you're right. I mean, 
And not to mention game one, where, I mean, I think they yeah. all kind of came in and, you know, Marshan said after the game, we thought it was going to be easier, which is a terrible right. quote to have from anybody. Right. Well, that, they, they didn't appear to be ready to go, nor did they effort any matchups at all in that game. Exactly. You wrote about that, that after the yeah, loss, Matt. They absolutely lost that one. And, and you figure, too, game two, they learned a lesson because that's where they stopped doing this hard match and they got the matchups in their favor more. And then game five, he goes back to doing it, and it's it's like he he completely forgot the lessons of game one. Just like the team seems to keep losing, uh, forgetting the lessons. And I like Cassidy as a coach, Pete. I I, I mean, I, he's obviously he's done some impressive things since coming in here for Julian and sparked them you know, to a degree. You know, two years ago uh, they couldn't handle Ottawa, but I don't think anybody expected them really to handle the Senators that year. But the last two years have been. I mean, he got out coached by John from Garfield, your guy, last year in the Tampa series. Uh, arguably, you know, a better <laughs> roster, but uh, he did. I mean, Braden Point outplayed Bergeron. He never yeah. got them away from a bad matchup, and he didn't do it again this year. I, I don't, I don't get it. Does he not? Does he? Is he just too proud to get Bergeron and Marchand favorable matchups? And he just figures they're going to rise to the occasion at some point. Yeah, I, I think that it, it might be a case of him just trusting them to get going, uh, regardless of who they're going up against, and and, and they haven't done it, and and. You know, I'll say I said at the beginning of the series that I thought that Mike Babcock was going to get out coached, and that would be a difference for for the series. And he hasn't; it, it hasn't even been close. Well, he, it also, you know, you can't just hark, you can't just look at the one line and say, "Well, you know, this is this is the problem." Obviously, he doesn't trust the other lines the way he has. I mean, because if you're going to play Bergeron against the Lander, that means there's going to be a shift in there uh, for Charlie Coyle or the fourth line to play against Tavares and Matthews, and he clearly doesn't uh, have the faith in those guys at this point, which is kind of sad considering you had 82 games to build up faith and uh, he doesn't have it and he doesn't have enough faith in, in that bottom six to even keep them together for more than half a period in the in, in the in the fifth game what a panic job that was i couldn't believe it it was a, a, rot- a rotation of third and fourth lines the rest of the game and you know that's you, you spend the whole season telling me well we need to build chemistry we need to get coil and, and Johansson to be a pair we need all these chemistry and then in one half of a period of the biggest game of your season you're mixing and matching lines the entire game so i mean what what, what which is it do you need chemistry or do you need to just try to find try to find a spark and did he have a didn't you have a quote after after game 5 saying that that they're overthinking it Exactly. The players are He's overthinking. overthinking. Yeah. Right. And I think that there's a case that it might be overthinking all the way around. Right. Well, that, that was I yes- certainly think that the players are overthinking it, yeah. but he might be too. That was yesterday when he said we need to freaking play yeah. and, you know, start freaking playing then. Right. Well, panic job is, is the right way to phrase it. Here's uh, here's what Cassidy said yesterday with the with the freaking line in there. Did you sense like any tension? Uh, I don't. I didn't sense tension. I think with the way we handled some of the puck, almost looked like the opposite at times. We looked almost too loose. Yet I think it probably is tension for some guys. Um, but I'd much rather see us be on our toes, play assertive, play with urgency, and and, and it not go our way. That's that's what we've done all year. We've pretty much been a team that plays on their toes, and you win some, and you lose some. We won a lot more, and we lost. But that's. Typically, how we play it, I'd like to see us get back to our identity in that regard. Now, some of that has been, well, Toronto stretches its own. We've got to be so. Maybe there's just too much thinking and not enough freaking playing, you know. And that's kind of what we're up against now. Pete, you wrote uh, in one of your uh, latest at CBS Sports about the uh, discrepancy between Tortorella and John Cooper in that series. Where I mean, Tortorella was breathing fire in Game One, and Cooper was just like milk toast the entire series <laughs> as his team was. Uh, crashing to, to to earth. I mean, Cassidy has been fire in some of the post game sessions. I don't know what he's like with the players, but for him to say we're too loose by game five, something's wrong. Yeah, I don't know if frickin' is the uh, the the motivator that they yeah, need, but uh, yeah, I, I think that you know there is 
definitely weight to what he's saying there. They were way too... They overthought it way too much in Game 5. There was way too many passes. Just play the damn game. And, you know, I think that they're getting frustrated. But, you know, I don't know I don't know if he's firing him up. I don't know if that that's really firing well, him up. Well, you know, obviously, I don't think this is a, I don't think this series is a referendum on Bruce Cassidy and, and his future with the Bruins. But when you look at his postseason record now, you know, two and four with the Caps, uh, that first round, go around, obviously a different person, a different era. But uh, then he comes back here. They lose that series to Ottawa that, you know, Again, the, he got kind of got out coach in that series. You think of the plays that uh, turned that series. You, you, of course, everyone thinks of the long pass Carlson made to I think Stone that or Hoffman that turned that series in the center's favor. The Bruins clearly weren't, weren't prepared for that. And now you look at these th- these two years uh, since then, and it's it's interesting to see how he uh, maybe he loses he loses his faith in himself. Never mind his players in the playoffs. And, you know, you don't want to ever change who you are. And, you know, you say what, you're comparing Cooper to Tortorella. I mean, that's the way they were in that series. But that's the way they are right. during the season. Tortorella is a madman. And, and Cooper's a laid-back, relaxed kind of guy, a, you know, a, a thinking man. So um, if you have Bruce Cassidy, a guy who does change his lines a lot during the season, but not in-game this much. Um, and now he's, you know, he's panicking and he's trying to tell the lines to play different ways. You, you wonder if... Uh, if, if he needs to really learn a quick lesson here because, you know, maybe going forward you, you don't think he's the guy to coach his team in the playoffs. Well, just to finish up with Cassidy and the critiques on him, I, I would say the other problem, and maybe this is a roster problem that he's dealing with that's, that's less on him, but two of your advantages in the series are supposed to be Charlie McAvoy and Tory Krug, and they have not been offensively yeah, enough. Not right. enough. I mean, I, I think Bruins stats had the, the the collective on McAvoy three shots in 105 minutes of five oh, on five play. It's, it's just a, a brutal how he never shoots the puck season, regular season on playoffs. Yeah, I mean, so may, may, maybe he's not shooting. Maybe he is activating yeah. some, and, and we're not seeing the results and, of it. But but mostly they're they're out there against the Tavares line all the time because Bergeron is right. And, and you know what? Too, I think th- th- this is the part where we don't know what we don't know. Uh, there's always there's always rumors when Patrice Bergeron's not playing his best that maybe he's injured because you know there's no way there's no other excuse for him right. But 14 minutes of ice time in Game Four tells you that maybe Cassidy was reluctant to go to him a lot on the, even on the road yeah. uh, because maybe he's injured. We know Tory Krug is not the same person right now. There might not be any injury per se that's lingering that he's going to come out and say after this series, but clearly the effects of the hit he took in Game in Game Two are 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 trickling down just like Jake DeBrusque. Not the same player. I mean, he looked better in Game Five as far as skating wise. Uh, they were they were making some plays, but he doesn't go to the net. He's not paying the price. There's clearly uh, an issue there where he's tentative out on the ice and not not as quick as he usually would be. And so these are the things we don't know and, and might never know. Right. So Nazem Kadri had a lasting effect on the series. If he if he oh, took Debrusque out for the for the next Kadri three games, had, had affected two ways. One because he took Dick, Jake Debrusque out, and two because he's not in there causing trouble. I think the Bruins <laughs> they play their best when someone's you know getting under their skin. That's why they play some of their best hockey it's against true. teams like Montreal. You go back to Vancouver in the in the finals. You go back to all these things when when teams are trying to antagonize them. That's when they play their best. And, and even in this series, they lose a game, they win a game, lose a game, win a game because they're responding to the losses. Yeah, I've been surprised at, at the lack of fire. Oh. Not necessarily that you you. Want Want to get stupid out there, but right. there has not been any fire since Kadri's left. Left. It's unbelievable. A little bit and, you know, Hyman, a little bit. And then, you know, it, it all came back to David Backus, right? Game two, he's the one that set the tone 
in that way. Now, he hasn't done it since then, and we don't know what's exactly going on between him and Bruce Cassidy because I can't believe he was benched for an entire third period, played two shifts in the second period. I just don't get why that's the way you coach when you don't coach that way the whole season. But who is going to do that today? I don't think know if they have a player that's going to do that today, but somebody has to do it, even if it's someone like Patrice Bergeron or Tori Krug or Charlie McAvoy. They have to go out and set a physical tone and, and get this team legitimately fired up. You know what really surprised me too. I'm sure we'll get to the uh, the non-call and the uh, the non-overturned goalie interference call at some point. But after that, especially when you're down 2-0, I'm surprised somebody for Boston didn't just run Anderson for the sake of it. I mean, <laughs> if, if you're gonna, you know, well, it's not like it was a vicious Hyman yeah. ass check into into Rask. But if if you're upset at the refs or Toronto for not uh, legislating, that, then it's time to take matters that, into your that's own always, hands. That's bit. always to me a sign of a team also that's not paying the price is that they never even come close to a goalie interference. Right. You right. know, when they played Ryan Miller in 2010, everyone was saying, oh, you have to get into Miller's face. You have to get in his face. And I'll never forget Vladimir Sabatka took a goalie interference penalty because he charged the net. And obviously you're not trying to hurt the guy, but you're at least showing that, you, that you're there and you're going to be a presence. And I, I swear the series turned on that play because suddenly the Bruins said, wow, we can get into the crease that gets this guy. We can get in his face. And that's we haven't seen any of that, whether it's Anderson or anyone on the, on the lease. We haven't seen any pushback from the And Bruins. I think that Freddie Anderson is certainly a guy that you can rattle. Oh, for if, sure. If you get in his grill and, and you know, you're – you get in his head and plant a seed, you can rattle him. Uh, absolutely. I mean, he was rattled the whole season. Look look how he played down the stretch. I mean, we talked about it in, you know, nonstop, the way he played down the stretch, losing those games to Ottawa, getting up five and six goals, getting pulled, and now you're turning him, him into Ken Dryden here. Which leads to Laird's uh, reason number two, the Bruins are losing. <laughs> oh, only series. on two out of four? Yes. Oh, man. Cassidy blowing it is number one, far and away. The line matching has been terrible. I would also add in there, before I move on, number two, the power play creativity has been a little uh, oh, suspect. God, it's, now, it's non-existent. They, but they were good. I mean, they were good through the first four games of the series and single-handedly won a game in Toronto, so I, it's hard to crush them totally. But the 0-3 in Game 5 was obviously bad. I don't know if that's Cassidy's job. Who, who handles the power play among the coaching staff? Yeah, I think I mean, he's, he has a big hand in it for sure. Okay, so I'll throw that into the kettle as well. But number two, and you wrote this in your piece, uh, whether it was yesterday or the day before, Matt, Marcus Deadwood Johansson, <laughs> yet another terrible trade deadline acquisition. I mean, they were in on everybody, and this is who they ended up with. They needed somebody to get in Frederick Anderson's face, and this is the last guy to do so. I mean, he is yeah. 30 feet from the net at all times. It's it's kind of crazy. A guy, a guy I think is known for maybe going to the net more, but again, he's a guy who seems tentative since he was injured. And uh, it's it's kind of scary to watch this guy play that way. I mean, it's the playoffs, so yeah. you were injured a month ago, it's time to get uh, get going here. And, uh, you know, I said at the time I wasn't going to 100% th- kill them for the trade because I thought, you know, Wayne Simmons clearly didn't work out in Nashville and he wouldn't have worked out here. You probably saved yourself there. It was going to be a steeper price. Um, the guy, obviously, that they should have gotten based on how he's playing now and just based on the type of player he is would have been Zuccarello. Uh, if you could Stone. Well, Stone is a clear is a different is a different category. Right. I put him in a different category. I said if you weren't going to get Stone, the rest of these guys, Nyquist, Zuccarello, Johansson, Simmons, they were all kind of the same to me. Right. They were going to play third line, maybe second line roles. Um, but clearly, this guy is is not right, and um, it's a like you said it's another terrible acquisition at the deadline. Uh, that again, they weren't all in, and it's 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 kind of frustrating because you know you can go back to the Muzzin thing if you want to. Um, that's the difference right there. People telling me, oh, they, they can't score, so how are you going to put it on a defenseman? But we know that the, the the scoring comes from defense, strong defense in your own end, and we're not getting that from Tory Krug and Matt Grizzlick on that left side. Well, Muzzin has been very good. I mean, you were right about that uh, months ago. I'll give you credit, and, and he has been a difference maker. He, he's physical. He's also 
you know, sharp defensively. He's just a good all-around player. He had the, the signature assist there on, you know, the goal, the controversial goal on the setup to Matthews. He's just good. I mean, he, he's a cup winner for a reason. And right now, I mean, maybe it's more important to get Bergeron away from him than it yeah. is from Tavares. Well, they've, they've done it a little bit. That that was the whole thing with Pasenak, uh in Game 4, getting him on different lines to get him away from Muzzin. Yep. And then they just played right into their trap again in Game 5. And you can't overlook his impact on possibly taking Tory Krug out of the series <laughs> physically. It. Right. True. So. Yeah. Now, the other guys, I mean, you cover the league as well as anybody does, Pete. I mean... Duchesne and Dzingo were still alive. Uh, that was just an unbelievable performance by Columbus in round one. Uh, Duchesne showed up. I don't know if Dzingo did. Would he have been a better fit than Johansson? I mean, looking back on it, either of those two guys <laughs> now look like prize possessions. Yeah, I, I don't know if... I, I think Dzingo may, may have been uh, a fit that I was looking at around then, but you know, he didn't have a, a super measurable impact in, in the Columbus series, I don't think. And Duchesne's the guy, but I don't think that Duchesne is, is a massive... would have been a massive fit with the Bruins. And, uh, the you price feel bad for Krejci, though, like anybody. I mean, it's 2019. We're still... They're still rotating wingers yeah, every period for the it's, guy. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's a clown show. They didn't bulk up the left side. They didn't bulk up the right side. We were talking about this last July. They went out and got John right. Moore. They signed bottom six forwards. They lost out on Kovalchuk, lost, lost out on Tavares, and didn't have a plan B. I wasn't inspired by... Johansson, but I, I thought that it was something, and that they added depth, and, and I like that. But he has not done anything. He's, you know, he's a playmaker guy. Well, at his best, uh, you know, he's a nice playmaker, but he's not going to be a game breaker. And I think that they needed somebody who had a little bit more finish to their game than you. And you know what? Too now I'm thinking about this. It's like you you're jumbling your lines like a madman in Game Five. If you're if you're not going to play four lines and you're ba- barely playing three lines, you know Charlie Coyle is your best forward in the series. Why not pop him on that crazy line on the right side? I don't think he had more than one shift there. Uh, if you're going to stack up, just put all your six best players on the two top two lines and try to grind something out here. You know, I'm looking at this now. You're talking about Muzzin. He played a, eleven minutes five on five against Pasternak in Game Five, where you control the matchups. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't think he's doing anything. He's just huh. he's he's trying to roll. I mean, you can almost understand it in game one. He's just going to try right. to roll his lines because he feels confident in them. But now you're actually benching the fourth line because they're getting outplayed. So what are you doing? You're rolling three lines, but you're mixing. I mean, it's just it, 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 it clown show is is a way to look at it. And it, it doesn't. All. It doesn't. It certainly you know resonates with the players. I mean, here it is. If if you're jumbling like that, you know they all talk about we play with each other, but it's not just about like having chemistry on the ice. It's just about not even knowing when you're going on the ice. Yeah. All this being said. Toronto is Toronto, yeah. and they haven't won a playoff series in 15 years, so I'm not sure it's over. It, it, nah, if this were a I don't normal think it's team, over at all. It's not over. Like I said, I, I don't think the Bruins have, I think, well, it's pretty obvious, but I don't think the Bruins have played to their best, to their potential in this series yet. Yeah. And if they do it in a single game, if they do it today, this series is not only not, only not over, I think it's over because the Bruins are going to win in Game Seven. Well, I just, I, I just don't know. I'm, I, I feel less confident this year than I would in past years, just based on the fact that it's been so many games that they've played poorly. Um, slumps happen, and it goes one or two games. We know we even started in 2011; they had their bad stretches, um, falling behind in 2-0 in a couple of series. But this, this is like extending. You don't expect a slump to last more than a game or two. And the, the games they win, they're not playing their best. The, the game they won, they didn't play their best in, in, in Toronto. So it's that's the scary part to me. I also just don't know, and this is what I wrote today, I don't know if they have the energy because I think game two took way too much out of them, both the fact that DeBrusque and, and, and crew got banged up. And I just think everyone expended so much energy in that series to play that way. The, the talk after the game was, how do you duplicate this effort? Well, they haven't come close and maybe you can't match that effort, but at least come close, and it's not it's not even in the ballpark. 
Coming up, we'll talk about the Bruins' line changes for today, and I've got my hot lava takes three and four as to why the Bruins <laughs> are losing the series. Can't wait for that, I know. Get your popcorn. Yes. Matt Calvin and Pete Blackburn are here for two big hours. We are uh, uh, pushing Bradfoe, Wiggins, and Reamer to the side. We're here until 10 a.m. this morning. Happy frickin' Easter. It's Sunday Skate, presented <laughs> by Wise Snacks and Star Market. Let's get a trending update. You're listening to Sunday Skate with Ken Laird from the Mud and Callahan Show and WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Calvin. Sunday Skate is brought to you by Wise Snacks and by Star Market, the official supermarket of the Boston Bruins. We've been defending um, for a good amount in this series. Um, we gotta, you know, we gotta throw these punches. We gotta get in their end, and we gotta get pressure. We gotta forecheck. We gotta be resilient, you know, because they've been doing it all series to us. They're dumping it in. They're getting it back. They're going low to high. You know, that we know their game plan. The other thing, though, is just going through uh, and being as steady as you possibly can and understand what's going on. But we know the formula for us to win tomorrow. We know that. Now we got to do it. It's great to know yeah, the answers, but now you got to do it every day. And that's the hardest part. And sometimes at home you get a little carried away. Let's just play. Well, Mike Babcock there. They know the formula. The Bruins know the recipe, whatever it is. These teams know each other pretty well. That's pretty obvious. Sunday Skate presented by Wise Snacks and Star Market. Ken Laird, Matt Kalman, Pete Blackburn from CBS Sports. And uh, Game 5, you know the troubling thing, guys? Yes, it was sloppy ice, whatever you want to say. That was a Bruins style of game, right? That's a game they're supposed to win. And they obviously didn't for a couple of reasons. Goalie interference has got to be factored in there in some form or fashion. But, yeah. Do you think Cassidy was really unhappy with the style of the, of game and the way that was played when all things were you know, no? Were that was that was the Bruins style for sure. Except that they didn't when they had a chance to take some chances and take some off you know take some offensive risks and, and do something to do some things you know offensively. He even said it. He he looked it back at the film and uh, said we passed the way too many shots and didn't and looked to make the next play. When every one of us saw it in li- in, li- in, uh, in real time. I'm glad the coach started on replay, yeah. and uh, now we all agree. Now stop doing it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's been a theme in the series, too. It wasn't just Game 5. Right. They've passed up way too many shots in this series. Brad Marchand thinks he gets points for, fa- for for prettiness. There's no doubt he thinks this is like a dunk contest. There's going to be judges in the stands you know, grading his, his moves. Get yeah. the puck deep and grind these guys down. I mean, Jake Gardner... We know he's playing with a bad back, and early in the series they did take some hits at him. I know back is you know ran him a couple times. When's the last time he was touched? Right. I mean Gardner and Dermott. That's supposed to be the defensive pairing you're abusing in the series, and it's not happening. Oh, and I mean, and you brought up Zaitsev too. I mean, atta- yeah. go at his side, attack him. When's he been hit? Who was it in the third period that uh, there was just absolutely no excuse? Was it McAvoy? There was absolutely no excuse when. Uh, there was a, a point where he had an open shot on net, tried to pass it across the slot. Yeah, it was McAvoy, yeah. and and probably it, it was, <laughs> and and it, it made no sense. It was infuriating. I, At that point, if you're not shooting the puck, you're down by one. You're not shooting the puck with a wide open look on net. What are you even doing? Yeah, out there? it's unbelievable. That, you know, and, and a lot of that comes back to you know you don't. No, there's no excuses in this league because everyone has youth, but. Again, he's only in his second year. He's barely played 100 games in the NHL. He's still getting his footing. I'll tell you, that that that, that comments that he, we just played and, and some of the other stuff that he said yesterday gave me hope for him as a leader in the future. He actually came out with some emotion and, and said some things about how we have to be better and get in gear, and it's good to see that someone's doing that. A lot of the, the leaders on this team are kind of you know downplaying things, and it's always about, you know, oh, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. It's good to see that he's you know, not panicking, but at least a little bit of, of excitability there, and maybe that'll carry over to his game. Maybe that's the way he gets his game motivated, or maybe he will come out and have three or four shots on net tonight. It would be a, a record, I think, for him. 
Well, we want uh, your expectations today. What do you expect at 3 o'clock in Game 6 here with Bruins and Leafs? Uh, Bruins on the brink. 617-779-7937. And if they do lose, who is to blame? I've got Cassidy top of the list with Johansson secondary. I know Maria's on the line. She wants to get to uh, to the goalie interference. I will throw that in as my fourth. I'm going to skip over my third reason for now. But I will say they got hosed by Toronto uh, in, yeah. in the situation room in Game 5. They got That's got to be factored in They somewhere. got hosed, but this is what I, I felt at the time. I didn't get too riled up about it. It's just, did they deserve to get that call? Yeah. No, I, I think I, it was certain. I would think it was certainly a bad call. Right. It was. Uh, I've seen that called for for less, and uh, you know, I, I think that that was goalie interference, and I, I think there's not a lot of argument against it. But I, I also found it difficult to get fired up about it yeah. because they didn't do anything else. Right. The only thing that fired me up about it is the next day, you know, having some time to go through my Twitter timeline and see every not only ex goalie, but. Yeah. Current goalies, Cam Talbot still plays in the National Hockey League, takes the Twitter to criticize the call. You don't see that in the NHL. You see well, that in NBA mean, and MLB. Same, you don't see guys. Same in, night. Right. Pro- probably a a less egregious interference right. was called and yeah. overruled well, the that goal goes, in the That goes back game. to the way they're leaving it to the officiating crews. Every officiating crew has a different margin for error. And, you know, I think you're going to play the clip of Brian Burke. You know, Ron McClain asked him a great question. It was, why do we have to defer to the guy on the ice? If right. the guy on the ice has to go to the video, he obviously doesn't know. Right. Yeah. So he it made was- a call just based on what he thought, I guess. You look at the video review, and then if there's not great evidence to disprove him, his call stands. But he's the one who saw it the least. Right. right. So go with what's on the video. Go with the people who can see it. Right. So stupid. Here's Brian Burke on Sportsnet the other night. So let's get to the non-goalie interference call on Tuka Rask. Well, I watched this play happen and again. I got no dog in this fight. I don't care which team wins this game. Zach Hyman initiates the contact with McAvoy, I believe it is, and then backs right into the goaltender. It's a bang-bang play. There's no question in my mind that's goalie interference. And as the delay went on, I said this works in the Leafs' favor. The longer the debate goes on, the more likely it is they're going to rule it's a good goal and not goalie interference. To me, it should have been a quick review and a non-goal. Fortunately for all involved, Toronto scored again right after that, so it's not as meaningful. It ended up being <laughs> an important goal in the game when when Boston scored late. Yeah, but which is just that's kind of dumb to say. Yeah, too. We, I mean, the, the whole game changes from should, there in the way you play. And we should and say else. too that Brian Burke worked in the NHL front office, and I don't want to say he's an apologist for the front office of the league, but he's definitely a sympathizer. He'll tend to to lean on the on the league side of things because he knows how hard a job it is. He always defends officials and, and how difficult their job is. For him to say something like that is really telling. But you're right, though, Matt. It's like if if the league had come out and said, "Okay, Rask is somewhat out of the blue paint and it's questionable," but but for them to say the call on the ice stands, right. that is the worst. Well, I say that with like, all the replay rules in all the leagues. Why does the call on the field stand? You did a replay review. The replay review should rule over. That's why it exists. Yeah, and and the league's quote unquote explanation that they released after the fact oh. was nothing, sort of an explanation. It was just. Well, we made the call on the ice, and uh, that's all, what it it's is. all because of the egos of the officials. Because yeah. after Brian Burke said that, you know, that's when Ron McClain pressed him on why doesn't the call on the replay have precedent? And he talked about, you know, we want to empower our officials to make calls, and we, it's a hard job because they don't want to be embarrassed. Everything that happens with replay that goes wrong is because we have to defend the officials' egos and their, and not hurt their feelings. And meanwhile, you know, multi-million dollar games are turning on the idiocy of these of officials and their inability to do their jobs, but we have to, you know, brush their egos. Well, I mean, Brian Boucher and Mike Milbury, uh, that was the broadcast I was watching here, um, and they were both... Uh, Milbury said it's an easy call, and most people would say he's a Bruins homer, so they nah. would take, you know, but... yeah. 
But, but I mean, it was like they were stunned that it right. didn't come back. Over I don't there. even want to know what Jack was doing on the other side. <laughs> oh my God, is he is he alive? Is he, did, he, did he put himself back together well, after? I that? mean, Brickley was had he sounded sour grapes from the from the clips I heard. Which yeah, you know, they have a, a right to be pissed. But absolutely, to Pete's point, they were sort of outplayed. It goes back to last year too. They got hosed on the non. Right. Uh, trip call on McAvoy, but you couldn't complain about it much because right. you got totally embarrassed in the series. And then you had a too many men on the ice call on your own team, so you maybe you kinda, maybe that kind of cancels out because how do you have a, a too many men on the ice penalty in a crucial playoff game when you're the Boston Bruins? That's the one thing you should right. never do. Well, also, yeah. I think you can argue, too, that the Bruins' actual goal in that game shouldn't have counted because I think that that play was offside. Oh, see, I thought it, I thought it was fine because, you know what, I, I think I actually have a better view from my seat than any of the videos you saw. And when I was watching it in real time, it was an unorthodox break-in, and it caught my eye. And I did see the puck across the line, and I, I felt that it, it did go in before those guys because it was just an awkward way that Pasternak stopped with the puck. And I did see some white paint between the puck and the line. So I, I, didn't, I thought it was that. onside. But, yeah, it, obviously from the reviews, if they're going to go based on the video, yeah, the videos I saw that you saw, it did look at, make it look more offside than it looked in real time from 100 feet, you know, how many 100 stories in the air, wherever we are. All right, well, to the phone lines we go. I know our next two uh, callers will have some takes on this. Maria in Watertown <laughs> is up next on Sunday Skate. Good morning, Maria. Hi, good morning, guys. Happy Easter um, to all of you. You know, at the time I wasn't riled up about the goalie interference call because, honestly, you know, the Bruins were, were gift-wrapped, three power plays that they did nothing yep, with. exactly. However, however, okay, what is the purpose of a situation room if you're not going to remedy a situation. When <laughs> a situation look, room in Toronto, no less. <laughs> and in, by the way, in Toronto, when you look at the play that happened in the um, Colorado-Calgary game, which was virtually identical, virtually identical, and you don't make that call, this is why the league is a bunch of buffoons between Department of Player Safety and these types of reviews which are inconsistent at best, and that's a nice word I'm using on Easter Sunday, they're, they're, <laughs> it, it's laughable. It's laughable. And I agree with all of these players, current and former players who are goalies, get players in those rooms. And you know what? Screw the feelings of the referees. Exactly. If you got the call wrong, sir, okay, you need to learn a lesson, and you need to learn how to make that call right, if not Take a seat and let someone else put on the striped jersey because this is the NHL playoff. There is no room for Mickey Mouse stuff <laughs> like that, okay? That's number one. Number two, I do agree with you, gentlemen, regarding um, Bruce Cassidy. He looks like a fish out of water. Like, he looks like he, he can't coach his way through this series, and he's getting beat but at every decision by Mike Babcock. I don't understand what the hesitancy was um, in the game Friday night. It's almost as if the Bruins are afraid to take a risk on offense, which is the polar opposite of what a Bruce Cassidy team um, has been up until now. So that, that's got to change. If not, you know, they might as well pack their bags today. Um, do I expect that same kind of effort today? No, I don't, because this team's M.O. all season long has been to give us those bounce-back games. But I will tell you this, if, if, and that's a big if, if they um, are done today, in my view, this is all on Don Sweeney, because once again, this GM 
did nothing at the trade deadline to solidify this team for a playoff run. We did, dealt with this last season, and we're dealing, it, dealing with it again this season. Okay, You didn't do enough to get a real winger to play with Krejci. Okay, so this is on you, Donnie. This is what the narrative. This is going to be Maria Stanici's narrative on Donnie Sweeney. <laughs> you screwed it up again, Donnie. Thanks, Maria. Thanks and for the time, guys. Thank you. And you know, Coyle's been. I think most people would say Coyle's a success. They would give yeah, Sweeney credit for, sure. for that. Right. One of their best and plus, he's not a rental. You have him back next right. year. He's a great guy to have built your third line around next year. But you can't count on him to really score goals. Although, although you no. know what? In this series, he, he should be out playing Nylander if that's the matchup. Exactly. You're going to need some goals from that line. Yeah, and. You know, the, the bugaboo always, always with him is he's a passer first, and we've yep. seen a lot of that. He's, he's shot a little more late in the season and early in this series, but he's clearly got to assert himself more. And, you know, sometimes you have to – they always talk about go out of your comfort zone in the playoffs. And do you think anyone on this team is going out of their comfort zone? Maybe Pasternak early in the series when he was throwing some hits. But everyone's just playing their role. They're not doing more than they're supposed than they're usually uh, you're expected to do, and that's that's where it comes down to. I really think they're sort of scarred from game one. That that risk, uh, the fear of risk on offense that Maria's talking about. Yeah. They guys give up so many odd man rushes in game one. That, that wasn't even a breakaway, and that wasn't even due to risk though. That was just due to sloppy exactly. play. They True. were just a mess in game one. True. So True. I don't know if if that's the case, then that's on the the Bruins players because that's a complete misevaluation of what happened in game one. But but the Leafs are good with a stretch pass. I mean that is their you know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying the Bruins should open up play and and. You know, be pinching at every turn, yeah. right? Because you're going to get burned more times than not because this team is way faster than you, and you know they have elite elite skill players. But you know if you're if you're looking at game one and you're saying, well, we can't be as aggressive because look what happened. Well, that's not what happened in game one. And maybe and maybe if you do, you give up one or two. Maybe your goalie makes a save. I mean. It's like, are we are we are we that fearful that Tuca can't make a big save on the breakaway to to not to be that risk averse too? I mean, usually you play that way when you don't trust your goalie or you don't have a good goalie. I mean, trust no one. You have to trust everyone in every way, you know, and just let him do his job and do your job out there. Don't try to you know worry about. these breakdowns that are gonna that are gonna bite you. And listen, it's almost been forty five minutes. We haven't mentioned the fact that Tuca was really good in, in, in game <laughs> five. So I'm gonna throw that out there. I'm not allowed to talk about Tuca. Everyone tells me stop talking about it. It's oh my God. Well he deserves his own segment, as does Fred in New Hampshire, so <laughs> okay. that'll be coming okay. up. Uh Cassidy's line changes we will get to and I've got the numbers, the all time historic numbers when the Bruins trail three games to two in game six. So we'll have those for you. It's Sunday Skate, presented by Wise Snacks and Star Market with Matt Cowman and Pete Blackburn. I'm Ken Laird. This is Sports Radio WEI. You're listening to Sunday Skate with Ken Laird from the Mud and Callahan Show and WEI.com Bruins writer Matt Cowman. Sunday Skate is brought to you by Wise Snacks and by Star Market, the official supermarket of the Boston Bruins. What's Cassidy doing with that first line? I think he dropped the ball in game one. I mean, you got home, home ice last shift and you still bang your head against the wall by putting Bergeron's line. You had the choice. You kept putting it out there against Tavares yeah. and Marna. It made, to me, that made no sense. So what you do in game two? You moved it around a little bit. When you look at the lines, I think you got to keep the lines as is. I don't think you could start moving guys moving guys in and out of lines and switching up. You think you could move Pasta out of that line and then, who, who are you going to put there? Heine goes up. You got to figure something out. I mean, you well, got to... Give, give me a solution. Listen, I, I, you got to maybe light a fire on those ass. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of moving, moving guys around. Wiggy speaks the truth. Wiggy <laughs> hockey expert, Lou and Wiggy. Earlier this week at Sunday Skate, presented well, by Wise Snacks and Star Market. 
They are the they are the two most hockey knowledgeable guys that work on the weekdays, right? <laughs> so I would say so after Dale's uh, Bruins Cup prediction. Exactly. So there you go. But uh, right down the toilet. Yeah, I mean, Wiggy, was cl- Wiggy was clearly long on that one. We know that Bruce Cassidy does not shy away from ever changing lines and did all season. But uh, you know, his defense, maybe he didn't start watching this season until the playoffs. Most most people don't. So you got to give him credit at least for watching now. And uh, well, I think the most you, the most the most telling part of that clip is that Glenn Ordway doesn't have an opinion there. He's he's like directed traffic. When I never heard Glenn not have an never opinion. Never happened. That has never happened. <laughs> uh, Glenn will be uh, on fire tomorrow with OMF two o'clock. Now the line changes for today, three p.m. We expect based on line rushes yesterday, Matt, you were there. Um, Bacchus and Achari are out. The great Seems rookie Carson Kuhlman and Joaquin Nordstrom are in. Yeah, I mean, I would just say that on uh, whatever day before Game 4 they practiced, it also looked like Bacchus was going to be out that day, and then he was in the next day. Oh, okay. So I'm not going to 100% commit to the Bacchus being out part, but uh, Kuhlman being in, I would say, is probably is, is going to be in. When, when Bruce Cassidy says we're considering it, I think, I think you'll probably see Kuhlman go in for either Bacchus or, or Achari. But I, not on the, not on the Krejci line, right? No, he's not, right on the third. third I think line, they're trying yeah. to push Johansson on that second line yeah. now, and 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 I I I think that Bacchus is going to be out today, just based on how much they played him yeah. last time. Well, out. that's just it. I mean, what what's what is going on here? Is is just is he lost all faith in the guy? Of as is, is he banged up more than we know? Uh, it's kind of pathetic because it's kind of sad to see. You, you know, I I don't like to bring up the six million, but. The six million guy, guy I don't think guy it matters can't at get this point. shift right. But I, I also think that it's it shows how how dire the situation is that we're complaining that David Backus yeah, might not be in the lineup. Isn't playing right? Exactly. We spent the whole year saying why is he playing, and now why isn't he playing? But by the same token, I mean part of that six million he earns by being uh, a leader, by being the vocal guy on the bench, by being the guy who comes out and, and looks for the the, right, the time to to make the game changing play. And uh, he did that in game two. He's had a tough time doing that since then, but he's been effective. He's had some scoring chances um, when they've played him with Coyle. They've created some things. I don't know if maybe just the intensity of the series and the every other day nature of it is getting to him. And that's what we thought all along that maybe he wouldn't be able to play consecutive games. So maybe they're thinking, sit him today, and if there's a game seven, we can get him back in there. But um, it's kind of, you know, it's, it, it tells something about the depth of their organization that they're always bragging about that at this point in the year, we're hoping that Carson Kuhlman is the prospect, the guy who a year ago was winning the national championship. He's the prospect we're hoping will go in there and step in, not Solarik, JFK, Frederick, Sinitian, blah, 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 blah. We have a lot of prospects, but none of them were NHL ready this year when we thought they were. But Kuhlman was working, I thought. I mean, he was in for the first three games. Yeah, but you know what? He works, but he's not he, I he's don't, not I, a finisher. I his ceiling's not very high. That's just it. He's not a finisher, and he's not... And he's not a guy to play on that second line. So uh, I think this would be a perfect spot for him to go in and, and play with Coyle. And again, they need they don't need scoring from that line. Go out there and have a 40-second shift where the Leafs are, are, are winded. Have a shift where you grind out a team and maybe pin them in, and then you, you get to make a change in the middle of your shift, and maybe Bergeron gets out there against a tired line because that's what the Leafs are doing to you. You know how many times in Game 5 they were, they were hemmed in and they were making a change, and next thing you know, you did have... Uh, a, a lesser line out there against Matthews at Tavares. You know, it, it doesn't show up in the final time on ice because it's only seconds here or there, but those seconds make a huge difference in the in the whole attitude of the game. The, uh, I mean, Moore's in there for... Uh, Grizzlick's been so bad. I, I don't... 
That's another problem Cassidy has. Well, he's had his moments. Moore has been. I mean, your guy Moore. I know has been has been the issue. He's not very good, and no, I don't. No, that whole pairing is a mess. I don't write. I don't write Moore off for the rest of this contract. I think if if he stays healthy and he gets uh, going, he's a decent player because just based on his skating alone, he can be a third pair defenseman in this league and and, and hold his own. But in this series. Whether it's just coming back from injury, whether he was not 100 percent ready to come back, or he's just getting, you know, getting not able to keep up with the pace of it, but he looks terrible out there. Yeah. Well, the problem is, I mean, Toronto is winning these like third pairing and fourth line matchups significantly. Right. They're, you know, not only was their D supposed to be a weakness, I'd never heard of Freddie Gauthier and uh, Trevor <laughs> right. Moore and Tyler and, Ennis, for God's sake, is blowing past people. And that so. was, you know, and well, first of all, Ennis wasn't supposed to play until Kadri got hurt, and he's killing you. And uh, you know, th- th- it was up in the air for the Leafs who they were going to play in their in their fourth line, whether it was going to be Gauthier or Petan or what what the combination was going to be. And they found the uh, the magic group there. Yeah. All right, six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. We're going to have to have Freddie hold on because he just uh, he has too many things to say. And we've got <laughs> we're up against the break here. But here here are the stats now, quick. The Bruins all-time in Game 6 is when they trail three games to two. Yeah. Are 10 and 13 okay. in Game 6. Right. So that's not bad. Right. But all-time in the series, they're 3 and 20. Oh, wow. When falling behind yep. three games to well, two. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to just narrow they're it down both, to more obviously. modern times, uh, 2 and 2 in Game 6 when facing elimination since 11. And then... Um, 2008, they won a game six when they were facing elimination, and in 2010, they lost the one to the Flyers. So it's three and three since, you know, if you want to stay the Claude Julian, Bruce Cassidy era, this, this core of the team, the Chara, Bergeron, Krejci right. core. So, you know. Well, you were there in 2012. They yep. had to win a game in Washington. Yeah, Tyler Sagan scores in overtime. Right. And, and that, that series is maybe the one that most mirrors this one just because. The Bruins had to were, got stuck playing in the Capitals' style. The Capitals, it was the Dell Hunter, Ovechkin plays 10 minutes a game, and we're just going to win games one nothing. It was Holpe's coming out party. And uh, the Bruins really got bogged down in that series by uh, the Capitals just packing it in in front of the net. I think they blocked 1,000 shots in that series. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Sagan got the bounce, got the overtime winner, and then they lost in overtime in Game 7. And that's, that's the most uh, similar to this series, I think, just the fact that you're getting outplayed and not uh, not dictating the not, not dictating the play in the series. And, and of course, in the cup win, they they were down three games to two, but that was a little different because they had they won game six here. Yeah, and then went to Vancouver to win game seven. So that was you know it's it's flipped a bit. But yeah, the, regardless, the, yeah, the Carolina series in '09 was also a big uh, game six road win. They forced it back, forced it back here. So it's been done. They know how to do it. While that history is not great, Toronto is Toronto, right, Pete? So it's been, <laughs> they haven't won a playoff series in. Uh, over five thousand days. Uh, so it's, it's uh, <laughs> who's counting, right? And and I think I think honestly that the being in Toronto to, today helps the Bruins. Yes, because I agree. because yeah. you have to go out. You know that it's going to be tough on the road. It forces you to to even take it up a notch. And if you win today, you're coming back home for a game seven right. with momentum, with a, a, a seed of doubt in Toronto's mind. I think that benefits the Bruins. Ho- hockey cliche man would say. Go out there and play a good road game. Right, get Without, pucks deep. Yeah, four check. Go right. to the net. Feels like a David Backus game, but instead it's a, a Carson Coolman game. <laughs> and who can blame Bruce Cassidy there? Well, we are. Uh, who do you blame for this three-two <laughs> deficit? If they lose, who's to blame? And uh, what do you expect today? Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. Hour two bonus hour into the nine o'clock hour. Suck it, Bradfoe. Suck it, Wiggins. Suck it, Reamer. Sunday skate continues. A game six Easter Sunday on Sports Radio WEI.